Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, as always, for listening. And it's Wednesday, so we are back around again to Hump Day Blogorama, a weekly show where we celebrate the RPG blogosphere. I take you on a little guided tour around around the blogs, what I spotted over the week. I talk about it here on the podcast. And then I put up all the links in order over at the Thought Eater blog. Just Google Thought Eater blog or go to Froth. SOF. The SOF stands for Cider Fries, but it's a long story. We're not going to get into that right now. Frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. And why not add me to your, uh, if you're a blogger, why not add me to your blog role? Huh? Think about it. But anyway, um, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Been getting back in the saddle of the blogging and podcasting. Uh, actually, over the weekend, finally came out with the first episode of my Sunday Zine Club show. And uh, very pleased. People seem to have been responding well to it. Uh, people were sharing it on social media, letting other people know about it. I really appreciate that tremendously. And um, so I had an interview with uh, Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor and the Manor Zine. And I'm uh, trying to cook up something special for y'all for this weekend, too. So if you haven't checked out uh, Sunday Zine Club, similar in some ways to the Hump Day Blogorama, but more focused just on RPG zines. So um, anybody out there has any zine-related news, wants me to take a look at something, uh, anything zine-related, want to be considered for an interview on the show, uh, you can message me on the Anchor app or email me, frothsof at gmail.com. Also have a contact form on the blog. <clears throat> well, last week's hump day was mammoth. It was a mammoth undertaking because it had uh, like four four plus weeks worth of stuff that I had had uh, built up since before the holidays. This should be a little bit more manageable, a little bit easier to digest, but we'll see. We'll see. But before we get started, I have a few things I want to mention under the intro tab. There were a couple of blogs that I follow that were celebrating birthdays. First, the Monster Brains blog, monsterbrains.blogspot.com. They spend hours tracking down artwork, scanning, editing, and cleaning up and formatting the content. All kinds of monster images. This is just a wild site if you want some inspiration and just some incredible artwork. Monster Brains is a great blog to check out. And Monster Brains is celebrating their 14th birthday. So happy birthday to the Monster Brains blog. Unbelievable. 14 years. That's great. Monsterbrains.blogspot.com if you never checked that one out. Uh, not necessarily safe for work all the time, but um, some incredible monster art over there. Also, the Archon's Court. Archon's Court. I say Archon. I get the feeling other people might say Archon. I say Archon. Could be wrong. But archons-court.blogspot.com, Luther Gutenkunst, Gutenkunst, sorry if I butchered your name, but I love this blog, I've been following it for a while, and Archons Court is turning two years old, congratulations, that is a a real milestone uh, to keep something going, so congratulations to you, Luther, great job over at archons-court.blogspot.com. And I also want to mention a few brand spanking new blogs that I noticed. There are several um, that I have this week that have just started blogging. I only have either, you know, one to just a few posts up. 
And so first I want to mention the Liches Librum. This is, uh, I don't have a name, but it's Lich, the Liches Librum blog, licheslibrum.blogspot.com. Welcome to the blogosphere. Also, the King Bim blog, King Bim, King B-I-M, kingbim.blogspot.com. Uh, they've got a couple of posts up, and let's see if i got a name here, by King Bim. That yeah, makes sense, King Bim blog, King Bim's doing the blogging. Uh, welcome to the blogosphere, King Bim. I love this title. I'm not sure why. 1D6 Drop Bears. I think it's a great name for a for a blog. 1D6 Drop Bears.blogspot.com. Let's see. This is just 1D6 Drop Bears blog. And added bonus on this one. They've got a random table up. So you get a bonus random table roll here. Let's see. D20 Random Encounters in the Forest of the Forgotten. Uh... 1D3 plus 1 trolls caught in a furious argument over the best way to prepare and eat human flesh. Oh, maybe you can sneak up on them if they're in a furious argument. So anyway, got some random tables and stuff like that already going on over at 1D6dropbears.blogspot.com. And then finally, new blog, Verbum Ex Nihilo. Verbum-ex-nihilo.blogspot.com. Haven't looked up what that means in Latin. You know, I took a quarter of Latin back in college, but that's been, uh, you know, over 25 years since I took that class. But I really enjoyed it, uh, but I kept flipping, you know, majors around and didn't end up uh, needing any more of it. But uh, that's Frost Latin story. How about that? And this is the Moon Howler, Moon Howler's blog, a blog about anything and everything RPG related that they deem worthy, highly inspired by folklore, paintings, poetry, and philosophy. Thus, their posts will probably be focused more on lore and less on game mechanics. So, this looks like an interesting blog, a uh, cool vibe going on from Moonhowler over at verbumxnihilo.blogspot.com. So, anyway, whenever I notice uh, new bloggers, I would like to give them a shout-out on here. So, um, if you're checking this out, if you're over at the Thought Eater blog, follow some of these links. Check out what they're doing, encourage them, everything else like you would want somebody to do for you when you start a new blog. All right, I've got some call-ins coming up. So yeah, last week, if you haven't listened, uh, the final topic, I was talking about some of the reactions I've seen. You might hear Kitty in the background. What's up, Kitty? Want to say hello? (laughs) Kitty, you're a star. You're a star, Kitty. Uh, I was talking about uh, some of the reactions I'd seen on social media um, to the announcement that uh, Critical Role is going to be, you know, the, the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount is the new um, D&D setting book that's going to be coming out, uh, utilizing uh, parts of the, you know, the Critical Role game world. And uh, lots of, lots of uh, reactions and everything, um, a variety of... Uh, perspectives, um, that I, I had seen on that. So that's kind of what I talked about. If you didn't listen back, obviously you can go listen back, but the too long didn't listen. If you just want a summary, I don't think I had any real hot takes or anything like that about it. Um, basic, basically my observations, uh, one gatekeeping and dumping on other people's fun, uh, is lame. Uh, let's see two, um, people in power can almost always do more to help other people. Um, three, um, money 
when a lot of money is involved uh, in decisions, uh, you know, money can affect people's decision making, I guess you could say, especially a lot of money. Um, for, uh, oh, it's natural for people to get jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much summarizes my takes on it. And, um, so I are just trying to provide you a little context. We're going to listen to some call-ins I got. I got several on the subject. Uh, one thing I did mention, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to say, you know, what you would do in situations, uh, when, when you haven't been in that situation, you know? So one, one comment I made is like, you know, it's kind of, you know, saying you're not going to, wouldn't work with wizards or wouldn't take money for a show from Amazon or whatever. It, you know, it's, it's different when, when, when the money's actually there. Um, you know, at least I think it would be for most people or a lot of people. And so an example I gave is, you know, it's like me saying, yeah, there's no way I'll pitch for the Minnesota twins, you know, no way will I ever pitch for them, you know, when the, I'm in no danger of that happening. So you'll hear somebody make a reference to the twins. And, uh, if you're wondering what, what is this person talking about? That's the context for that. I th think that's probably all, all you need as you listen to these. So here we go. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So I gotta say, I'm pretty excited about the new 5e book. I'm not really a big, uh, I wouldn't call myself a critter. I've watched slash listened to a ton of Critical Role, but I really want to buy that book because I want to support Devin Rue, the cartographer, for a lot of the stuff for Critical Role, and I think this is the first time her stuff is going to be in print. So I'm really excited about that, and I'm really hoping that there's another artist, Crystal Soli. Um, Matt came up to her at a gaming convention when she was just had a uh, booth for her artwork, and I believe the very next week on Critical Role, he was highlighting her artwork. So I think that's really cool that he does stuff like that. I mean, he loves the gaming community, so I'm hoping her artwork is in there too. But yeah, I'm just really excited to have a book with Devin Rue's work in it. That's Josh Beckelheimer there from JB Publishing uh, Podcast. And uh, Josh, I, I really appreciate your message. I love that you uh, were thinking about others and boosting them. I liked hearing about that story uh, with the artist uh, getting um, uh, some shine and getting a boost from uh, from Matt Mercer. I think that's great. And I'm, I, I think Devin Rue's artwork is unbelievable. I follow them on Twitter, and so, yeah, that is cool. So, uh, anyway, I appreciate your feedback. Uh, thanks for the positivity. I appreciated it. Hey, Froth. It's Rob from Down in Heap. So happy to hear you back doing some podcasting. It's great. Now, being a longtime Minnesota Twins fan, there were plenty of years where I don't think the net result would have been a whole lot different having old froth towing the rubber and lobbing in a 55-mile-an-hour fastball than some of the clowns they trotted out there. You know, having uh, the D&D &D movie, I'm not really keeping tabs on where that's going, but it seems to me it would be pretty smart for them to you know, have some of the people from Critical Role in like cameos if nothing else but maybe even some of the main characters or something what do you think see ya 55 mile per hour fastball give me a lot of credit i think i'd throw my arm out on that pitch <laughs> rob c there from down in a heap 
Yeah, you know what would be cool is like a cameo if they were like a, a rival adventuring party in a dungeon or something, and you know you pop into them and they just stare at the the you know whatever the main whoever the main characters are, and then they stare back and they just kind of like silently back away from each other. You know, it could only take just a couple of seconds, but everybody would, would be able to say <clears throat> there they were, something like that would be would be good. That, that's a good idea. Hey Froth, it's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. You were talking about Critical Role and people hating on it and hating on their success. And you know, it's really interesting the parallels with with like our political situation and just how people are behaving in general. It's almost like once people have been given a permission slip to be rude assholes, pardon my French, um, in one realm... It's like it just opens the floodgates. It's really frustrating. My younger son is really struggling with the fact that he plays a couple of video games and he used to participate on the forums and Discord and he's just gotten off two of them out of the four that he was on. And, and they're just like shipbuilding games or stuff like that. They're not even like shooters and people are just getting increasingly obnoxious. Regardless of how I feel about the current president and administration or any of that politically, I'll tell you what makes me really sad is that I feel like people who are hateful and mean-spirited and incredibly judgmental of people who aren't just like them feel incredibly empowered to just bash people. I mean, I know it happened before, but at least they were more secretive or private about it. Jeez. It's gotten really bad. And and I suspect also as the job markets change and it's harder for young people to break into money or, you know, they can't just go get a factory job like where I grew up in Michigan. People could just get a job at the GM factory. Now I think that jealousy is becoming really rampant too. So anyway, not to be all negative, but that's just my thoughts. Hey, it's Liren again. I'm really happy that you're feeling better and that you're back. I was wondering where you went. I've been so busy. I have not been keeping up with podcasts, but a couple of times I've had windows and I've been looking for you and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, where's froth? Sometimes my anchor player does not update or like reorder things when someone puts out a new episode. That happens all the time with Spike Pit, as a matter of fact. And, um... So I have to go seek him out in the list and I'll be like, geez, he just put an episode out and it didn't go to the top of the list. So I was hoping that's what happened to you. But anyway, I'm really happy that you're feeling better. All right. Looking forward to Zine Quest Sundays. That was Liren there from the updates from the Middle of Nowhere podcast. And Liren, so good to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for the kind words. And uh, it is good to be back podcasting. Um yeah, I think that's a, a little trick with the Anchor app as far as stuff not showing up in order. I, I think whenever you start, you know, in your favorites, it'll sort podcasts based on when they were starting to be recorded. So if Colin from the legendary Spike Pit podcast or, or someone else, you know, started putting their podcast together like a week prior to releasing it, it'd still be way back there, um, kind of in order of when they started it. I noticed that because I record mine. Uh, the hump day show, for example, on Tuesday afternoons usually. And so, um, 
even though I'll release it Wednesday morning, I'll see other things in front of it and my favorites, and it's usually because uh, it's sorting by when I started it. So I think that might be what that what that is. As far as everything else, yeah, God, you know I'm um, my my daughter is eight, and uh, as part of her like Girl Scout badges, it's uh, stuff about safety online and and this that and the other, and it, it is just. <laughs> such a minefield even just starting to like talk about it and 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 look at the content and, and just i'm just imagining uh you know how somebody that doesn't have these walls of cynicism <laughs> that i have is going to be able to you know navigate and react to the constant uh stream of garbage in comment sections and from you know trolls and hateful people not to mention sexual degenerates and everything else it is just a um, you know the world is a beautiful place the world is also just a gigantic sewer and um, I don't have too much to add to what you said I, th I think uh, you always have a great way of phrasing things that I appreciate so I appreciate you Lear and thank you for checking in Yo, Froth, it's Joe, and I am super happy that you're back. Welcome back. Hope you had a, a super happy holidays and are having a great 2020 so far, or at least a good one. Anyway, dude, question. Do the folks from Critical Role really make millions of dollars? And I'm not doubting the Froster, not at all, man. I've just never looked into it. If they do, that's awesome, man. More power to them. I wish I could make that much money from gaming. And as far as lifting up uh, indie games go, it's kind of a no-win situation for them. Say they do pick a game and give it some publicity, then awesome. The folks that like that game are going to be happy and stop yelling at Critical Role about it, but everyone else is still going to be yelling at them to raise up indie games, raise up indie games. So what are they supposed to do? Anyway, welcome back. I will talk to you again. Peace out. Joe, thank you very much. It is good to be back. And yeah, you know, the first three letters of assume, you know, I, I didn't want to be assuming too much when I was talking about, you know, at least the potential amounts of money that, um, that some of these folks can make. I'm thinking in particular, Matt Mercer, I, I have to assume it's maybe their IP. They're the one writing the new book, for example. Um, I, I don't know how it breaks down between them all as far as ownership and how much they all make. But, uh, you know, you got me thinking, am I completely off base to assume that Mercer is going to make millions from D&D when it's all said and done? So I really took a deep dive, honestly, looked at how streaming works, looked at the different uh, sources of revenue, critical role in them have. You know, obviously I can't fill in all the numbers, but when you look at, you know, streaming on Twitch as well as um, YouTube, that they don't just have the critical role show. They produce like 10 shows, uh, looking at how the ad revenue breaks down for just, you know, ads you run during your stream, uh, as well as sponsors, as well as it looked like if the numbers are accurate, it's something like 700 grand a year, just in the Twitch subscriptions, um, that they're getting on top of that, there's a podcast on top of that. There's, you know, comic books, books that have already been out, there's a ton of merchandise on their um, website. You know, most musicians will tell you they make their most of their money in playing shows and merchandise as opposed to any kind of streaming or whatever else. So tons of Critical Role merchandise for sale as well as, uh, you know, public appearance fees. I saw one video gamer 
you know, says they get five to 10 grand, uh, uh, for a public appearance. I don't know what they pay for a critical role to fly out to a con, um, you know, in England or whatever, or, or for Mercer to do all these, uh, you know, anytime you see, um, some kind of celebrity game or whatever, it's inevitably Mercer or Christopher Perkins GMing. It seems like, I don't know what they get paid for that. Um, but you know, there's, they're constantly doing, you know, uh, you know, appearances. So I don't know what the appearance fees would be. I'm sure it's adding up. You take that all in consideration on top of, you know, they have the wildly successful Kickstarter. Obviously that money's going to producing the show, but before they're even starting on it, you know, Amazon had already ordered an entire another season of it, as well as another project to work on for Amazon prime. I don't know what kind of money that is, but I have to think if that show is a hit, when you look at more merchandise and, uh, you know, continual, you know, continuing revenue from that, as well as I put up an article, uh, with Greg Tito from Watsy talking about how, like, like I mentioned, this Wildemont's got most pre-orders since the core rule books of 5e. It's going to be the biggest non-core rule book release for 5e. I don't know how the revenue breaks down for Mercer. I know it ain't 10 cents a word though. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, people can tell me, uh, they know more than me. I, you know, I'm froth. I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm wrong more than I'm right. <laughs> but when I look at all the multiple sources of, uh, revenue on the streaming, um, uh, from subscriptions to ads, to sponsorships, the merchandise, the podcast, the um, books they've already got out, comic books, the uh, public appearance fees, the TV show with already a new one ordered with a new project also ordered by Amazon and the potential there, as well as the potential that from this, uh, you know, what's going to be the biggest 5e release besides the core rule books with additional products and, uh, you know, merchandise and everything else from that. I don't think it's that off base to assume Mercer's going to end up making uh, a few mil off of this, several mil, and uh, I think it'll be well deserved. And um, it's, but you know what? The first three letters of assume goes back to that. You made me do a deep dive on it. Somebody can tell me how far off base I am or if I'm lowballing it. The map segment of Hump Day Blogorama is proudly brought to you by Frank Turfler, legendary anchorite of Frank T's Liner Notes. I've been backing Frank T's Patreon for a while. High quality, full color, world class battle maps, sci-fi, fantasy, and otherwise. Innovative print and paste terrain that brings your table to life. Multiple support tiers, including a commercial tier, which will allow you to use Frank T's creations in your own commercial projects. You can sample some of the quality of the work by looking for Frank's Free Map Friday posts. So whether you are a creator that is looking for some cartography for a new project, whether you are a GM gaming online or in person at the table, or you're just like Froth, a map junkie, and you can't get enough of this stuff, go right now to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and check it out. All right, so I think I've beaten the critical role horse to a pulp at this point. So moving right along to the maps, 
Got some great map images of some amazing cartography to share with you all this week. Make sure you go over to the Thought Eater blog to actually check these images out. But Evelyn Moreau, she blogs at the Chromatic Cauldron blog, chaudronchromatique.blogspot.com. She put up a post, Spooky City. If you're a longtime listener to the program, you might recall when I had shared one of her posts before where she used Anxiety Wizard from anxietywizard.blogspot.com. Uh, their city generator ideas, and they generated this spooky city. And uh, I'd put up kind of maybe a tentative map uh, that she had drawn uh, to accompany that post. Now she has drawn a full-blown um, spooky city map that uh, looks like something from uh, you know a, a magnificent, strange children's book or something. You know, it's 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 unbelievable, and I I, I love her work so much. And and this is a Probably one of my favorite maps that I've seen Evelyn do, so be sure and go and check this out at chaudronchromatite.blogspot.com. I love this one, the Spooky City map. Speaking of incredible maps, I saw that this one was nominated as the map of the year at the Cartographer's Guild. Um, so, uh, you know, something I've mentioned before, you can add the Cartographer's Guild to your blog roll, and you will get some of their posts, you know, coming through uh, from time to time with the RSS feed, and I love, I love being able to check out uh, you know, just random different uh, great works of art, these maps that pop up. But this one is on a completely different level. Uh, Alanthar over there did this one, um, City of Argona. And uh, it's no wonder this is up, you know, amongst other great cartographers for Map of the Year. It is a floating city uh, done with a side view, you know, a cutaway view of this floating city of Argona. It's uh, kind of a hybrid atlas-looking map meets uh, blueprint. Uh, it's keyed, and it is incredible. And if this thing does not get you uh, wanting to, to play some games, I don't know what will. Check this out. This is an early uh, in the early running for Map of the Year. I can tell you that much. Uh, this is uh, breathtaking. City of Argona. Check it out. Alex Schroeder, uh, I've mentioned numerous times, there's so many great tools and everything to help GMs and uh, blogs over at alexschroeder.ch. They kind of put up a post that's kind of asking a philosophical question about how much mapping is actually required. You know, if you have a, a short, small adventure, do you really need a grandiose map for it? And my answer is yes, absolutely. More maps. <laughs> you might not need it, you know. I, I, uh, but, but I want it. So, uh, need and want are two different things. I want maps. And, uh, what, what's great about this post is there's just a kind of accompanying, you know, to Alex, maybe it was just an accompanying doodle of a hand-drawn map they did, uh, to demonstrate this. And I love it. And it just, uh, it's, it's skill and talent. And, um, and I love when I see these, you know, kind of hand-drawn gaming artifacts like this. So check this out and, uh, you know, consider the philosophical ramifications of, uh, of fewer maps over at alexschroeder.ch. Finally, on the map stuff, Dyson over at Dyson's uh, dodecahedron blog, dysonlogos.blog. Kind of needs no introduction. Um, uh, legendary cartographer, uh, not just for OSR stuff, but uh, working on a lot of the 5e books and everything else. Um, I had mentioned last week how they had kind of uh, sorted all their inns and taverns under a, um, a, a tab so you can find them easily and I noticed this they had updated their collections updated some of the main map collections with the general map archive and as well as broken off the commercial map archive so these are ones that have been released through 
um, you know, different commercial use licenses you might be able to use in your own products. So it's really easy to find and sort through and everything. So just another way that Dyson is helping the scene. So appreciate that, Dyson. And speaking of being appreciative, I want to say again, thank you to Frank T for supporting the map segment of Hump Day Bloggerama. If y'all have never gone over to patreon.com forward slash Frank T, make sure you do so. Frank's got various tiers that you can back, including a commercial tier where you can use Frank's stuff in your products. And you can also look at the free map Fridays, um, which, uh, uh, you know, which you don't need to be, you know, supporting the Patreon to check out. And that'll give you an idea of what you're getting over there. So thanks as always, Frank. Some reviews and retrospectives to get into, some neat stuff that people were blogging about this week that I wanted to share with you. Starting over at the Tabletop Almanac, the tabletopalmanac.wordpress.com, SK reviewing the new Star Trek Adventures Gamma Quadrant sourcebook. Very positive review. More and more stuff keeps coming out for Star Trek Adventures. You know, um... One of the streaming games that I have enjoyed watching is uh, watching some people play in this Modifius um, Star Trek Adventure system. Because uh, something about, you know, people, you know, a lot of time people will kind of cosplay while they're doing it and, uh, you know, imitate, you know, iconic sort of Star Trek characters from the TV shows. And it, it adds an extra layer of entertainment uh, to it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of... Um, talk about Star Trek recently with the new Picard show out that I have not yet seen, but I saw some people giving it positive reviews. You know, a lot of these old shows are streaming on Netflix and, you know, I'm only, was only really familiar with the original Star Trek and, uh, the, the next generation. So I started watching this one that is probably, it's gotta be the worst out of all of them. I, I haven't looked online to see what people have to say about it or whatever. It's Star Trek Enterprise kind of set before the first Star Trek and it's got Scott Pac Scott Bakula as uh, I guess Captain Archer, if I'm remembering correctly. I've, I've like watched like five episodes over the last you know couple months, uh, and it's it's got like the worst soundtrack of, of all of them, and it's pretty bad. I guess it's late '90s or very early 2000s, but. Uh, you know, I've been watching it because it actually will put me to sleep. So um, at night, if I can't sleep or whatever, I throw on one of the Star Trek Enterprise episodes. And I swear to you, not 20 minutes into it, they're so dull, uh, least exciting out of any Star Trek series I've ever seen. About 20 minutes into it, I am just, uh, I'm, 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 I'm yawning and I'm ready to go to bed, but anyway, off topic, but you want to see this review of a new Star Trek Adventures source book. Hopefully it'll be more exciting than Star Trek Enterprise uh, is for me to watch it. You can check that out at the tabletop almanac.wordpress.com. Uh, John Stater over at the Land of Nod blog, probably known for their, their, um, uh, their excellent, uh, Nod zines and everything. Uh, very, um, 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 prolific creator uh, at the Land of Nod, landofnod.blog. They've been doing this series, Dragon by Dragon, where they do kind of like a retrospective post looking back at different Dragon magazines. This time they're looking at Dragon 59 from March 1982. I always enjoy stuff like this. They kind of go through it, talk about some of the articles that were in there. It looks like there's some traveler stuff and whatnot in that app and that um, that issue. So if you want to go go look back through an old Dragon magazine with Mr. Stater. You can check that out at landofnod.blog. 
over at Rolling Box Cars, rollingboxcars.com, Dad's Angry reviewed the Sassoon files for Call of Cthulhu and the Gumshoe system. And what is remarkable and notable about the Sassoon files, you may have heard the story, you may not have, but this was a kickstarted project that uh, the China government enacted their right of censorship over and uh, seized the printed books and destroyed the print order because of sensitive issues with the content. So, um, anyway, um, it's a 1920s Shanghai source book, and it uh, has the, um, the, the, um, what would you call it? Um, the, not honor, uh, the, uh, the dubious honor, I suppose, of being, uh, uh, censored by the Chinese government. So anyway, real positive review. Um, they said they didn't know what to expect. Um, uh, but they can see themselves after reading it, comfortably running a campaign in this majestic setting. So a great source book, looking for any person looking to run a game in 1920s Shanghai. Obviously, if you're running Mask of Nyarlathotep, it's got a whole section in Shanghai, so this might be something worth looking at. Even just looking at it as a curiosity based on the whole censorship aspect. So, the Sassoon Files getting reviewed over at RollingBoxCars.com. Jacob Schmidt blogs at the Swanosaurus blog, swanosaurus.blogspot.com. They're doing a review of the first published scenario for Troika, Fronds of Benevolence. And they give it a really positive review, um, a wonderful what it's a collection of wonderfully peculiar npcs creatures and locations with just enough connective tissue to run, turn it into a story at the table wholeheartedly recommended i know there's a lot of uh, anchorites and folks that are in the troika and so if you want to see uh, somebody that's actually run this you know it's one thing to see a review when somebody is just you know it's a brand new book and you know no one's had time to run it it's different when someone's actually run the product and used it and getting a review from them. So I think that, that makes a review more valuable. Obviously, sometimes that means there's a huge delay in the reviews. But um, but with this one, uh, relatively recent product here, Fronds of Benevolence for Troika. You can check that out at swanosaurus.blogspot.com. Then uh, Timothy S. Brannon, friend of the program. I'm always going over to the other side, theotherside.timsbrannon.com. Tim is a prolific blogger, so they come up a lot. You know, Tim's always doing something. He's got uh, um, kind of a system down, Monday post, Tuesday. You know, he's, he's got a system down. I like that. Uh, but uh, doing a classic adventure revisited, Palace of the Vampire Queen. Besides um, um, Dave Arneson's Temple of the Frog and the Blackmore Supplement, this was the first adventure ever released by Pete and Judy Kerriston, the Palace of the Vampire Queen. And Tim... Timothy takes you through looking at the different editions, the different covers, talks about some of the differences and the reprints that you can buy now and everything else. So a uh, really nice retrospective post on about as early an adventure as you can get, The Palace of the Vampire Queen. Check that out at theotherside.timsbrannon. Finally, on the reviews and retrospectives, I wanted to mention this one because I found that the idea of this game is completely original, something totally different. Uh, this is over at CannibalHalflingGaming.com. Aaron Marks reviewing a new game called I Hunt. And this is written by Olivia Hill and Philomena Young. And the basic idea is it's a game about using the gig, a gig economy app to get contracts to kill monsters. And it's uh, based on a series of novels and novellas. 
uh, kind of a critique of modern capitalism, you know, framed around, you know, using this app and the gig economy to kill monsters. I hunt. And so uh, really uh, interesting review. The game sounds, uh, like I say, very original and different. So uh, maybe one to check out. And you can check out this review over at CannibalHalflingGaming.com. And it's got um, links to uh, purchase over at DriveThruRPG as well as itch.io. All right, let's roll on some random tables. I'm starting over at Rand Roll, Duncan Thompson's blog, focused on random tools and tables, randroll.com. They put up a post, D&D City Encounters, using the Monster Manual. And so I thought I'd roll on a couple of these, see what we encounter in the city. Let's go mid-level, maybe. Let's see what we encounter walking through the city in our 5e D&D game. Occult Fanatic, leading 2d4 ghouls and d6 cultists in a kidnap attempt. Got to stop the cult. How about some city beast encounters? Run into somebody. Uh, a D2 plus one flying snakes carrying invitations to a cult meeting that night. So maybe intercept the old flying snake. Find out where that cult meeting's happening to stop them from their kidnap attempt. So I've already got a little mini adventure just rolling a couple times on these. Cool thing about it is they link over. This is uh, it says these tables and more are available in their product Monster Manual Encounters, City Dungeon and Wilderness, and they've got a link over to that at uh, Drive Through. And right now it is uh, pay what you want. So tip Duncan and download this and check it out. You can always use more random tables and uh, random city encounters are some of the most satisfying. To be honest. Um, it gives a, a real feel of hustle and bustle to, to a city if you're using it in your game to have a bunch of random things going on in the background. So check all that out, and including a link to uh, for a free pay-what-you-want pay download over at randroll.com. I'm hanging in there. It's getting a little weary. I had to re redo a couple of these segments so far because the sound was not ideal. And is the performance really ever ideal? <laughs> so anyway, uh, moving right along. I'm at K Trey's blog. I love the D4 Caltrips blog, blog.d4caltrips.com. K Trey will often do random tables that also have downloadable PDFs, just like this one. And this is for old school essentials. They say they were leafing through old school essentials. They were struck by a project idea uh, to have a few encounter activity tables for the monsters in the classic fantasy monsters tome. So these are encounter activities, things that the acolytes could be up to in any kind of game, OSC, otherwise. Uh, let's see what they're up to. These acolytes are, they're ritually removing all body hair. Oof. Caught them in the act. What else are these acolytes up to? Uh, let's see. Uh, they are bottling purple smoke from a burning brazier. Yeah. So, you know, shaving, bottling purple smoke, you know, <laughs> sounds about right for some acolytes. You can check that out, blog.d4caltrips.com. Again, you can just uh, download that as a PDF as well. So, K-Trey dropping some goodness on us. Speaking of goodness and random tables, Elf Maids and Octopi. The, 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 the creme de la creme of random tables here from Chris Tam. Elfmaidsandoctopi.blogspot.com. They've got one up, Creepy Dungeon Dreams. So yeah, some creepy dungeon dreams. If you fall asleep in the dungeon, you might have a creepy dungeon dream. 
And Chris Tam warns you that these are at least 80s horror film gross, so uh, you might not want to be eating a grilled cheese sandwich while you're reading. <laughs> so everybody leave the grilled cheese sandwich at the door as we check out some creepy dungeon dreams. Okay. Okay, revolting fungal beings snatch you, flying you into the night to their faraway lab on the moon. There they extract your brain, placing it in a barrel-like contraption, and you are aware of your horrible condition, like a pickle. <laughs> it's important to have the like a pickle piece there. <laughs> All right, let's see, another creepy dungeon dream. Let's see, a girl from a painting you saw in an inn keeps appearing in your dreams. Oh, I like that, that's good. One more creepy dungeon dream we could be having. Uh, oh yeah, this one's stopped eating your grilled cheese worthy here. Worms under your skin are bulging and you start to burst open. So yeah, creepy dungeon dreams to torment your players with. From Chris Tam over at Elfmaids and Octopi.blogspot.com all right, let's talk about some free stuff. We love the free stuff over here on Hump Day Bloggerama. And the first few things are dealing with this Red Ink Adventures game uh, over at DreamingDragonSlayer.wordpress.com. Now, I've mentioned this before a couple times, uh, but I put up the link again where you can download this because the other stuff has to do with it. So, Red Ink Adventures. The cool twist of this game is that the, the group... You know, your adventuring group starts 10,000 coins in debt. So, uh, there's a hack downloadable for free over at Stronghold Press Games. Strongholdpress.blogspot.com. Red Ink Adventures, hacked and slashed. So, they're talking about uh, they were inspired by uh, Dreaming Dragon Slayer, Slayer's Red Ink Adventures. So, they made their own hack. You can download this for free. And this is from The Bad Gamer. So I've got the link to download Red Ink Adventures, to download their hack, uh, the hack over at Stronghold Press, and then I noticed that um, over at Red Ink Adventures, uh, over at, uh, sorry, DreamingDragonSlayer.wordpress.com, they put up a post, Red Ink Adventures, D66 Debts. Uh, the group starts 10,000 coins in debt, so you can roll what they bought and invested in. So I thought I'd just throw in this as a little, uh, as a little extra random table here, so... Playing Red Ink Adventures, I love that that kind of twist that, uh, you know, you start in a huge amount of debt, and thus the name Red Ink Adventures. So, what did this group end up going into debt over? Uh, they bought a small moon. Had to have that small moon. That's one more. Uh, Twelve bags of holding. You know, we couldn't just stop with the one. Uh, we weren't thinking we ended up buying 12, 12 bags of holding. Don't ask us why. And uh, now we are in debt. So some cool stuff. Those links are all in the free tab. Uh, check out this red ink adventure stuff that's going on. Speaking of red, I've talked about cyberpunk red recently. Um, the cyberpunk red, um, um, Kickstarter or not the Kickstarter, uh, jumpstart kit, uh, maybe the most downloaded thing on drive through all of last year. So there is a link uh, up over from geeknative.com for a free adventure red chrome cargo 
for Cyberpunk Red. And the cool thing about this, I normally won't put something up if you have to register or anything, but it's got a link uh, there that's just straight to the PDF um, from, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Altalsorian uh, Games. So anyway, if, you, uh, if you've been checking that out, if you're one of the many that have downloaded that and, and checked out the uh, Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart Kit, there's a free adventure you can just download without having to register anywhere. All right, what's next? Okay, over at Signs of the Locust, signsofthelocust.com. Uh, let's see if I got a name for this. Uh, just signs. Anyway, they put up a post uh, re regarding Ultraviolet Grasslands, the Ultraviolet Grasslands Character Creation Companion. Uh, they say it's brilliant, um, but they created a player-facing character creation companion relatively faithful to the, vis the vision of ultraviolet grasslands uh, to help their characters out. So it's just a free kind of uh, download PDF uh, that you can download. If you're gonna be running ultraviolet grasslands, you might be able to hand uh, out to your players to help them with character creation. So that's available at signsofthelocust.com. Middle Finger Vecna, uh, do some of the best 5e homebrew, uh, mfov.magehandpress.com, Circle of Stones, a new, a new dru Druid Circle, you can download the free PDF for the Druid Circle, the Circle of Stones, uh, right now over at Middle Finger Vecna, I've got that link up for you. Uh, I've been talking about Emmy Allen, the Cave Girls, Esoteric Enterprises game, and over at Graphite Prime, graphiteprime.blogspot.com, they've got up a bunch of character sheets they put together for it of uh, different uh, varieties uh, for Esoteric Enterprises. So if you want to check out these alt um, character sheets for Esoteric Enterprises, that's over at graphic, graphiteprime.blogspot.com. And then I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Xenopus Archives. I've mentioned this blog all the time. They... They help keep the old uh, old school homes basic set rules alive, and um, they have got a, it's already a silver seller on the Five E DMs Guild. They have got a conversion uh, from the home set of the ruined Tower of Xenopus, and um, so it's uh, like I say, it's already gone silver. It's up on the DMs Guild for a buck ninety nine. So this has got a link to that. Uh, you might be wondering, well, what's the free stuff? Well, it's also got a link here. Uh, Wizards has the original um, dungeon including the dungeon map from the Holmes basic rule book as a free PDF. So if you go over here, you can download uh, from uh, Wizards the original um, Xenopus, um, uh, Ruin Tower of Xenopus adventure. And then when you've got the original, why not go and spend a couple bucks supporting Xenopus archives and download that Ruin Tower of Xenopus 5e on the DMs Guild. Uh, the last free thing, I've got this over at Tomb of the Wandering Millennial, totmv2.blogspot.com. They've got up a cool post, Transylvanian Encounters. Uh, they're running a Lamentations game, but you could use this really for any kind of um, historical horror game. This would be great, for example, uh, Mask of the Red Death or something. Anyway, it's a, a free uh, link over to their uh, a Google Doc. You can download it as a PDF. 17th century Transylvanian-esque encounters. So it's a D30 table, and I just happen not to have my D30 with me today, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but anyway, it's got uh, a bunch of kind of uh, spooky Transylvanian-esque encounters on here. So this looks, for the right game, this looks like a really good tool you can use. So another uh, free download for y'all. And uh, check out more stuff if you haven't over at Tomb of the Wandering Millennial, a blog about weird fantasy horror stuff. 
Uh, they usually got something cool going on. You can check that out. Some miscellaneous stuff to look through. Some cool stuff this week. Um, going back over to Dyson's blog, DysonLogos.blog. Put up a post, Glenn Thompson's DM screen. They say that popped up in their newsfeed a laser-etched Plexi DM screen with a 3D printed frame and RGB lighting using Dyson's commercial maps as decoration. And Dyson says if they use a DM screen much, they'd kill to use this. There are some pictures of this DM screen lit up with Dyson logos maps on it. And wow, talk about a killer DM screen. Wow. Uh, you got to just see the pictures. Rainbow colors and Dyson logos maps and the 3D printed. And uh, that is some, uh, some cool stuff. Actually, the files for the 3D printed sections are up where you can download them if you have the means to do that. So check out this cool DM screen over at DysonLogos.blog. Remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about the D&D movie and remember how I said I didn't think it was possible to actually make a good D&D movie or I just questioned whether it was possible or not. And remember during that same conversation when I was talking about how I didn't think they'd make superhero movies as good as the Marvel movies. So, you know, maybe it is possible. Well... I take all my speculation and everything back. Looks like the D&D movie has a chance to be really awesome because I spotted this news over at bellofloftsouls.net. The D&D movie will be written and directed by the Spider-Man Homecoming duo. So they did the Vacation remake as well and wrote Spider-Man Homecoming and they're going to be doing the Dungeons and Dragons movie. And that is just awesome because that was a great movie. I love the new Spider-Man stuff. And, um, anyway, it looks like they also did uh, horrible bosses, which was pretty funny. So it seems like this has the potential to have a lot of humor and, and really good action and everything. I love that they're going with a more of a comedic angle. And, uh, so now I went from doubtful to, uh, hopeful in one, uh, fell swoop and, uh, maybe you did too. So this is great news. Uh, actually couldn't be any better, uh, news. Uh, so I think that has the potential to, to really be something special. Now I'm actually looking forward to it. Some other news that was over there at, uh, Bell of Lost Souls as well. Uh, they're taking a look at some more of the new D and D, uh, officially licensed products that are coming out. So one is a new board game called Adventurer's Gate. And the pitch for this sounds pretty good. It, uh, it positions itself as an intro to D and D for people who are mo more familiar with board games. So that could be a good game, uh, maybe for kids, or a good way to um, kind of start some some folks that are not familiar with RPGs uh, into the game. So that looks pretty neat. Adventurer's Gate, and um, I don't know when that. Oh, due for a release on May twelfth. No, that's not right. I don't know when the board game's coming out. The May twelfth stuff is is for later. Uh, the these two books, uh, this first one, the World Builders Journal. And I'll talk about comes out May 12th. And then the second one, the book of holding is August 4th. And so these aren't really supplements or source books. The world builders journal is a officially licensed journal with 365 writing prompts, uh, to start, uh, unlocking. It says unlocking backstories of your heroes, motives of your villains, surprises hidden within your campaign, helping you build a strong foundation for your next game night. 
So a kind of a journal thing with writing prompts to help you uh, kind of design your campaign and that sort of thing. And then there, the book of holding is more just a journal, just a multi-purpose journal to stow ideas, notes, and, and to-dos. Um, anyway, uh, so just kind of a glorified journal, but with cool artwork and like a little metallic class with die shapes and stuff on it. So um, if you got to have everything Watsy puts out, uh, this kind of stuff is for you. So anyway, out of those... I think that Adventurer's Gate looks really cool. I can picture maybe uh, running that with the little cousins and stuff like that um, as they start to learn the game. So anyway, both of those, uh, the news about the D&D movie as well as the new releases, I spotted that over at Bell of Souls, belloflostsouls.net. Uh, next, uh, over at the Thacko RPG blog, Ryan Marsh's blog, thackorpg.blogspot.com. Put up a little post for amazingly useful websites for old school games, linking over to like the one page dungeon contest where you can download so many awesome, great one page adventures. Uh, Bar the Barrow meat shield generator, um, a mithril and mages utilities. It's got a lot of great uh, utilities and generators and stuff like that over there, as well as uh, Ramanan's uh, character.totalpartykill.ca basic uh, character generators there's several over there um uh um original dnd homes bx and lamentation of the frame flame princess so uh, anyway i thought this was a good post it just put up a lot of helpful stuff all together so you can check that out over at the thacko rpg.blogspot.com if you've never if you've never seen any of those before what else i got oh okay well um Whenever somebody goes to a convention and does like a report of, of the time they had and stuff, I like to put that up. And uh, this is also from Dungeons and Possums, who has kind of been on a hiatus lately, but uh, recently popped up, you know, out of the trash can or whatever, uh, Dungeons and Possums. Uh, and this is observations from PAX South 2020. So just a report of their time, the games they played, stuff they bought. Uh, things they they did there it looks like they had a great time so go and check that out it's got a lot of cool images and, and everything they did uh, um, and uh, and also welcome Dungeons and Possums back to the blogosphere after being on hiatus let's see all right so these next two things last two things in the miscellaneous tab uh, were kind of historical weird historical things history related things that I thought I might mention one scrap princess over at Monster Manual sewn from pants. Um, she's talking about obscure history unto adventure. Um, talking about this Charlie Douglas who had a custom built machine known as the Laugh Box, which was only seen and used by the Douglas family, locked up when not in use and used for like primetime comedies to give the uh, the laugh tracks. And so you know they're talking about how weird that history is and everything, and then give some ways to use it in modern horror adventures like um, Charlie's use of someone's laughter causes them to suddenly spiral into depression resulting in gruesome suicides and uh, the laugh box is actually too effective and is making the entire population placid and easily um, manipulated by media um, when someone whose laugh was recorded dies their ghost is unable to advance to the afterlife resulting in sets using the laugh box getting dangerously haunted and those are some wild and awesome hooks uh, off of this whole history of weird history of the, the laugh box so 
great ideas there from Scrap Princess uh, over at Monster Manuals sewn from pants.blogspot.com. Another weird history. I don't know if y'all heard about this, but they, they recently uh, uh, were able to reproduce the voice of a 3,000-year-old mummy by reprinting their vocal tract. And this is at Gundabad Games. Uh, this is Gundabad over there. And they say, look, if that isn't gameable, we should all sell everything now and switch to golf for a hobby. Uh, surely this must inspire a new item of treasure to be hunted down by your players and uh, the vocal tract of Oman Kasharan. And so they've got this whole uh, weird uh, uh, magic item that I won't spoil for you based on this news story about the 3000 year old mummy's vocal tract being reproduced. So between the, the weird laugh track stuff over at uh, monster manual sewn from pants and the 3000 year old mummy vocal tract being uh, reproduced. Uh, I just thought those were two really interesting historical, um, you know, historical based gaming, uh, things that you could use in your games. And the kind of thing I just love about blogs is, is seeing stuff like that. All right. So for the final topic, um, I was kind of dissatisfied with, uh, what I had originally chosen as the final topic. So I got up to, uh, re-record this here before releasing the, the show. I was going to save this for five minute Friday, but then I realized I, I could probably talk more about this than five minutes. Uh, much to your chagrin, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, I spotted this over at Gnome Stew. Gnome Stew, the gaming blog, gnomestew.com. An article by Phil Vecchioni, Finish Strong. And this is talking about uh, finishing campaigns and having a great finish, a satisfying conclusion to your campaigns. And the first thing it kind of mentions is how, how rare this is. And that's definitely been my experience both as a player and unfortunately as a GM sometimes it is my fault uh, because there is a new shiny game that I get and I start to get bored with the game I'm running maybe I've been running it for a couple of years in some cases um, and I get something new and I just uh, it just the, the joy is gone it's a joyless marriage with the new with the game the campaign I'm running and and other times it is just really hard sometimes to keep a gaming group together uh, especially as adults you know people move people have had players move across the country get new jobs have have children and, and all these things that are in the end uh, you know these real life things that are really important more important than uh, than the game and um, so things will fall apart that way um, yeah, well, there's just uh, many games I've I've started uh, as a you know being a player or, or otherwise where they've just been unreliable players or players that just didn't get into it or GMs that didn't get into it and um, a lot of promising campaigns have just been you know dead before they even really got off the ground. So if you are lucky enough to get a game uh, campaign. Um, uh, to a point where you want to have an epic ending, you know, go for it and make it as epic as you possibly can because you never know when you're going to be in that situation again. So, um, anyway, Phil over here gives some good advice. Some of it might seem obvious, but it is still good to think about. Um, you know, they, they talk about uh, ways to end a campaign well as uh, obviously concluding the, 
the current storyline, what's currently going on, to wrap up character arcs. This is really, really important, and I'll come back to that. Uh, to conclude whatever kind of meta arc, the, the overall um, story that's kind of developed out of your campaign. And uh, when some people hear that, um, depending on the style of game you run, you know, even in emergent play, completely sandbox play and everything, you know, kind of stories and villains and things like that, uh, just kind of emerge on their own. So um, it's good to have taken some kind of notes. I know a lot of people don't take a ton of notes. Um, I myself, I take really kind of broad strokes, uh, like uh, in D&D, um, I'm looking at, you know, treasure, monsters, and just an overall little kind of synopsis of, of, of what happened. It's not super detailed, but if there's a big NPC or something like that, I will I will write it down. Um, what was helpful for me for, for a while was doing the uh, session recaps, and that's something that... Uh, you know, even if you're not podcasting, you might find helpful. Uh, your phones inevitably have some kind of way to just record into a microphone or something. So even if you're not a big note taker or whatever, you can get up the next morning after uh, you've ran your game and just uh, record something for five minutes. And you'll find that that really helps because, you know, sometimes you end up with, with gaps between the next time you play and it goes two weeks or something like that, two or three weeks. And everybody's kind of struggling or a little bit to remember exact uh, things that happen. It's just a tip that might help you out. I found that recording, um, you know, recording the recaps really helped uh, solidify what happened in my brain. And, uh, and then the other thing that it mentions is showing what happens next. Your characters will continue to exist past your time of playing them. Take time to show what their lives will be like after the campaign is over. Which is another thing that is great. So times that I've had really uh, successful epic endings, I've definitely uh, done that. That's one of my favorite things from, I guess, like it happens in Animal House and, you know, movies uh, particularly seem like they did that in the 80s, you know, where at the end of the movie it would show different characters from the, the movie and have a little caption about what, what ended up happening to them and everything. And one game I'm really looking forward to do that at. Uh, my, my Savage Worlds, East Texas University, I'm running a 1980s horror game set at this college. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it's very influenced by, you know, the 1980s. So the, the characters are kind of based on these archetypes that are common in 80s comedies and everything. And uh, it's a short enough campaign where I can pretty much guarantee we're going to get to the epic ending. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to is, again, like mimicking Animal House and having, um, you know what happened to the players as they grew up and got out of college, you know, so, uh, so that's always a good thing. Um, it talks a little bit about, it's got a section called just a little patience and, um, it's, it's talking about things, uh, you can kind of do, um, ahead of time, uh, as you're losing interest in the game, you know, having candid discussions about it so that you can go ahead and start, setting up a conclusion rather than just quitting. And I think this is really good advice as well, because most of the time when the game ends, it was some, a lot of times this isn't going to help you, you know, games end abruptly uh, for different reasons. But if you're getting to that point where the game's just dragging and you're wanting to switch systems, if you're not wanting to come back to the game, uh, you can maybe stretch it out for another couple of sessions just to wrap things up. And so... Um, this is a good, uh, you know, good discussion about that. One thing is uh, that mentions it's good is uh, setting expectations. 
It said they figure out how many sessions it will take to bring to a conclusion and communicate that to the group. And the thing I like about that is um, you go ahead and set it up, you know, set their expectations that it's going to end. And I think you're going to get more, um, you know, if they know that it's only a couple more sessions left or that it's wrapping up, you, you get one last kind of burst of energy, you know, from the players, even if uh, everybody's, you know, ready to switch games, knowing it's going to end, to, to kind of bring their A game. And um, they're maybe even more likely to show up or whatever else, knowing that, the, knowing that it's wrapping up because people like to get you know like to get to an ending people like to have a satisfying conclusion rather than just leave things undone so i think if you are going to end it you're planning on ending it even if it's somewhat abruptly letting the players know hey we're going to do two more sessions of this and wrap it up you know uh, that'll uh, get some engagement um one the the thing out of all this that i really uh thought was maybe the best advice of all is talks about setting up a campaign for a comeback and they say they don't often flat out end a campaign but rather they try to get the campaign to a place that if they ever want to come back and play it they can and they give some advice on things you can do um you know to have your campaign ready you know to keep it warm in the oven in case you want to come back to it and i have certainly missed opportunities to do this where I've thought, well, this is done, and just abandon it, uh, but did not necessarily leave it in a place. I mean, sometimes I've even just deleted stuff, or you know, just just not kept it in a place where you come back to it. And I've definitely regretted that. And so, give some great advice, like after the last session, you know, collecting all the sheets, campaign documents, everything, and putting them in a single folder, filing that away somewhere. Uh, cleaning up the campaign notes so that it's you know clear to come back to and then um, uh, they even say write a note to future me the last thing they do is write a note writing down anything they need to know about the campaign that's not captured somewhere else all that's really great advice um, like I say I've had some games uh, I think a particular one that comes to mind is uh, Call of Cthulhu, Massive Nyarlathotep. This is one I've started a few times. <clears throat> it usually collapses under the weight of all the clues and everything else. And, um, you know, then a lot of the, the characters start dying. Players miss a few sessions and really are completely lost. That is a campaign where you miss a few sessions. You can completely just be take yourself out of it. Um, but there was a lot of work that I did at the same time and to have, uh, you know, it's just something I, I could have kept together. Another one I'm thinking about was, uh, ran like a three year, two or three year, um, D and D campaign, classic edition. I think everything we were running second edition and ran a bunch of the classic modules. And then we ended up in the temple of elemental evil and it just got really grindy. And when we kind of left it there, that was a great it would have been a great one to just have taken a pause, uh, gone and run, ran something else, and then come back to it. Because that's what I'm doing now with The Night Below. We ran it for over a year, like a year and a half, got to kind of a grindy spot, and I decided to take a break and run Savage Worlds for a little while, a little mini campaign, and then come back to D&D, rather than just completely abandon the campaign. We'd worked so hard to get that far. And now I can already feel myself you know, D&D, &D, it's a funny thing. You get burnt out on it. <laughs>
but it always calls back. You start hearing it in your brain, and you just start thinking about all the little D&D, classic D&D things that uh, you're addicted to, and, and um, so... You know, we will be going back to it, and I'm glad I did it this way instead of just having an abrupt end. Um, I've got my notes. I've got, uh, you know, everything else just kind of sitting there waiting to where we should be able to come right back to it. And when I think about some of my, you know, campaigns I did manage to, to finish with an epic ending, um, I, I tried to end it with just a, a complete, you know, build up a complete bang and, uh, like, uh, one that really stands out to me it was a fourth edition multi-year campaign i did uh where it ends with this world fall with uh with uh two planes converging on each other and and all these grells coming out with these wild you know you know possessed grell riders and stuff and uh there you know so there's all kinds of flying creatures this whole town under attack there's you know wizards battling and um um it was kind of I uh, just kind of forgot about the rules and just had, you know, epic amounts of damage and, and, and destruction and, and everybody was letting everything they had fly. And, um, so if you can get there, uh, if you're lucky enough to get your game to where it can, you can have a satisfying ending, put everything you've got into it. Think about what's happened throughout the game and how to tie it up think about what's happening now and how to tie it up and do something special for you know for your players uh to wrap up what's currently happening with them and maybe look to the future with it so anyway a lot of good advice on this one thought it was a great article and it's uh, you know not super long it's easy to digest so good stuff over at gnome stew and uh finish strong so check that out if you have uh um, any ex great experiences ending games or disastrous ends campaigns i'd love to hear from you um you can uh, well i'll talk about how to get in touch with me in uh, the outro all right so that is the show for this week i want to thank you for listening hope you enjoyed it i also want to give a big shout out as always to the bloggers out there doing so much awesome stuff week after week give me something to talk about here I uh, wanted to give a big thank you to folks backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. If you like the stuff I'm doing, all the different shows and everything else, it's only a dollar a month to support me. So if you want to toss a dollar in the old froth tip jar, go to patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Just one tier, a dollar a month. So, um, yep. So next you'll hear from me, it'll be a five minute Friday. And then that'll be followed up by Sunday Zine Club. Trying to put something special together for you there. If you've got any zine-related materials, you want to send me review copies, you want to be considered for an interview on there, don't be shy. Reach out to me, frothsoft at gmail.com. Or, you know, you can message me here on the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. There's a little button where you can send a message. You know, same goes for this show. If, if you had an epic ending to a game or a campaign that ended in disaster or want to talk about any of the other topics that we, we had on here, uh, you know, feel free to send me a message. I'll put you on the show. So remember that all the articles we talked about are in order over at the Thought Eater blog. Just Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. I am sure that I am forgetting something, but... It is what it is, right? I'll remember it for next week. So anyway, Logan, take us out of here with that sweet music. Boom, 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 boom.
Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind